The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Of the advocacy program that ACB NextGen is putting on. Today, we're going to talk about advocating for yourself any place, any time, in any situation. One of the things I think I see and feel and hear a lot of people say is, well, I don't know how to advocate. I don't know how to do it. And today's session, our goal is to just tell you, hey, you know what? You might be doing it and you don't realize it. And also give you some ways that you may be able to advocate a little bit better in just everyday life. There is a third part in this um, series, and we'll talk about that at the very end. So anyone who wants to take the next steps in doing the big stuff, as some of us like to refer to it, the legislation part, or you're talking to people outside of your daily life, we will have that for you. At this point, I'm going to have our panelists introduce themselves. I'm going to start with um, Greg, who is here in the room. And then when he's done, Vika, our second panelist, is on Zoom, and she'll introduce herself. Alrighty, thanks, DJ. Hey there, everyone. My name is Greg Lindbergh from Wesley Chapel, Florida in the Tampa area, and it's an honor to be part of this session today. Hi, my name is Vika Trussell. I live in Georgia, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you, guys. So we're going to hear from both of our panelists in different areas of advocacy that they do every day, and um, we will have time for questions for sure after they're done. So Greg, we're going to start with you. And he's here to kind of talk about some of the guide dog things. And then we may get into some of the other advocacy um, areas that Greg works in. But how do you navigate daily life with a guide dog for yourself? Yeah, so I've had my dog Goldie. She's to my left here sleeping on the floor. Uh, She's a golden doodle from Freedom Guide Dogs. I've had her for about a year and a half now. And I honestly had no idea how much advocacy, you know, how many new things I was going to have to learn when I became a guide dog handler. Um, So there's definitely a lot to it. You know, obviously she being in harness kind of designates she is working, uh, but there's still a lot of confusion out there, obviously with, you know, emotional support animals and which are certainly legit, you know, in some cases, but there've been a lot of people in recent times trying to take advantage of making their, you know, pets, quote unquote, service animals or emotional support animals. And so that has created a lot of challenges when it comes to having a guide dog. And uh, fortunately, you know, just in time and experience, I've learned a lot about how to navigate some of those challenges. Um, So just in general, you know, having to explain to people that she is a service animal, she is working Um, obviously that's, you know, that's key just so people know the difference that she is an actual working animal. She's providing a service. She's helping guide me to get where I need to go, navigate, find things, whatnot. And, uh, so obviously, you know, when it comes to, to transportation, uh, Uber, Lyft, rideshare, any guide dog handlers out there, you might know, you know, there are certainly challenges when it comes to, you know, getting, those drivers to buy in to, to number one, understand that I have a service animal and number two, you know, recognize and realize that as a rideshare driver, it is their obligation. They must transport somebody with a service animal because it's actually in, you know, the Uber contract, the Lyft contract, it's spelled out in there specifically that drivers must transport service animals. They can't say, you know, they're allergic, uh, religion. I've heard a lot of different, you know, reasons, excuses, 
the drivers try to give. And uh, so that's, I've had to become, you know, a big advocate for myself when it comes to that. Uh, it's just in terms of drivers that say, no, you know, I can't, I can't take you. I can't take her because I'm allergic to dogs. And uh, number one, in my case, she's actually a golden doodle. So she is hypoallergenic, non-shedding, <laughs> which I know, you know, most guide dogs are not. So um, a lot, a lot do shed, but that's certainly no reason at all, you know, excuse that uh, a driver can give that's, that's legitimate for not accepting, you know, for denying the ride. Um, so there have been several times where I have stated that, you know, for, if it's an Uber driver giving me a hard time, I will tell them it is in the Uber contract that you must transport me. Otherwise, I'm going to have to report you. You know, I'm not sure where that could lead. Uh, potentially, you might not be able to drive for Uber because I've definitely heard of cases of drivers being banned from being able to drive uh, for a rideshare service. And so that's, you know, it's just something I've, I've kind of learned to to advocate. And so I will say one strategy I use when I request an Uber ride, I will text the driver in advance and I'll say, Hey, um, I am blind. I'm traveling with a guide dog, you know, just to give them a heads up. And so there, there have been a few cases where the driver actually just canceled the ride before they even showed up when they saw that text. But in a way, I look at that as a good thing because I avoided, you know, the in-person conflict, that awkward moment if they didn't know I had the dog and then they showed up and saw, you know, the dog and denied me in person, obviously that's going to be a lot, a lot tougher to deal with, going to be more frustrating for me. Um, so that's, that's definitely a tip I recommend if you are a guide dog handler, or, you know, considering a dog, definitely try to reach out in advance to those drivers, make them aware. You know, I know, I know there is a lot of debate about that. Should you acknowledge it beforehand, you know, wait till they show up, uh, record the interaction. Uh, but I definitely support, you know, the idea of, of making the driver aware just in terms of, you know, that communication beforehand. So maybe you can kind of avoid uh, any challenges that might come up you know, when the driver does show up. So that's, that's definitely been, as far as a handler, uh, a challenge that I've worked through. And uh, also just going into restaurants, bars, whatnot, you know, businesses, for the most part, I've been pretty lucky. You know, they do recognize her as a service animal. Um, there was one time where I, it was a restaurant. We walked in and they said, oh, we don't allow pets. And I said, she's not a pet. You know, she is a service animal providing a service. I can't see. She's helping me get around. And thankfully, they were very understanding and, you know, there was no issue after that. Um, but again, you know, I really have to, I've learned, I have to advocate, I have to speak up and also do so in a respectful way so that I, you know, to me, you, you kind of get the message across more effectively. If you're respectful, calm, you know, if I start getting all emotional and flipping out and it's, it's not a good look from my standpoint, because it kind of shows that, you know, I react too emotionally or whatnot. Um, so definitely trying to keep your cool, you know, in any kind of advocacy situation uh, is, is key for sure. Um, you were talking about uh, going into public buildings with the dog and how you handle that. Have, 
Is there any particular case that you want to share how maybe you got a little bit better access because of how you handled that new situation saying, no, we are allowed to be here? Yeah, I will say there is this restaurant uh, that I frequent with with friends and uh, it just happened to be one of the places that was the one place where they, you know, were going to deny and basically say, sorry, you can't come in because you're a dog. And uh, I have gone back since, uh, you know, with no issues, no questioning. Um, so it's, you know, it's just one small example, but I think it does show, especially if it is a place that you do frequent or go somewhere often enough, um, if you can get that initial communication off the table right away, if, if you are questioned or if you are denied or whatnot, um, it can certainly help in the future, making your life easier. Awesome. Thanks, Greg, for sharing some insights for Guide Dog. We're going to go to our second speaker for a minute. Ms. Vika, and Vika is going to talk to us about um, independent traveling and things like that. So um, Vika, can you tell us how many times you have flown by yourself? I um, have flown two times. Um, last year, I flew to Utah. Um, and, you know, I have had a good experience both times. Um, but the first time I flew, I was really nervous, not about the flying, but about advocating for myself and um just asking for like what I need and like them listening and so like I live in Georgia so it's I have to go like to the probably the busiest airport I don't know I mean I've heard like there might be one or two more busier than Atlanta but anyway it's it's a huge airport so um what you have to start with is uh finding a place to park and both times I had friends take me and they were able to well actually the first time my friend it was a couple who took me and uh, one of them parked and um, actually just drove around a little bit, like kind of circled until my other friend got me inside the airport and helped me find the place where you ask for a person who can take you to the gate. So they did. They took me to the gate and I asked them um, if I could please not use a wheelchair. And so they were like very nice about it. And they said, okay, yeah, you don't have to use a wheelchair. And it went really well. Like um, I had really good conversation with the person who took me and uh, they took me to my gate. And then I think it was somebody who works like at the gate. Anyway, they helped me uh, to the plane. And then um, on the plane, a flight attendant helped me to my seat. So every step of the way, there was someone with me. And then when I got to uh, my destination, there was a person who met me when I got off the plane. Uh, they're called meet and assist people. You can actually request those when you book your flights and um, they help you find where you need to go. And so after doing that the first time and even going back from Utah to Atlanta, the first time I was like, okay, now I know what to do. Now I know what to expect, how to ask for what I need and the best way to help me. And yeah, it was a really good experience. And then the next time I flew, I was like, okay, definitely. I know how to do this. And I've had a good experience. I know not everyone has. And it's unfortunate that not everyone has a good experience. But it's also good to learn from those people just so you know what they went through. And those two times were not my the only two times flying, like I'll definitely fly in the future. And I mean, hopefully I have a good experience, but I just never know um, what kind of you know, like how busy they are and like how soon they'll be able to help me. So that's why I also like to get there extra early because, you know, if I have to wait for someone, then, you know, I have that time and I'm not stressing about like, oh, am I going to miss my flight? And also you got to think about security uh, and when you go too. So even like around the holidays, 
I mean, I feel like it's busy anytime, but around the holidays too. So yeah, that's my experience. And then Vika, can you share a little bit about um, living on your own? Like you do some of the things you, how do you advocate for yourself with independence there? And I live um, in a basement apartment and uh, how I found this place was I was, well, I was living with my aunt at the time and I wanted a place of my own. I was like, you know, I, I love my family and stuff, but I need to, you know, I need to be independent. Um, I just felt like I couldn't be as independent with them. Like I felt like they kind of had, I mean, it's their house. I get it. Rules like don't come home at like this time. Like let us know if you have people over and stuff. But I was like, you know what? I'm ready to live on my own. Like, um, so I asked people at my church at the time, like if they knew of a place somebody was renting and uh, the people like my landlords now, my current landlords, they actually were going to the church and like, well, we actually had somebody move out of our basement. So if you want, you can come take a look. And so my aunt and uncle uh, took me over there and we checked it out. And like soon after that, I moved in and um, I live like 20 minutes from them. So I still get to see them, but I also still have my like own space and my own place and, you know, not have to kind of um, be on other people's like timeline and stuff like of when I can do what and like how many people can come over and things like that. And it's nice because even though I do have my own uh, space down here, I also, if anything happens, like if, I mean, I've had a few different things happen, like um, something accidentally breaks or whatever. My landlords, they live upstairs, so they help me fix it or whatever. Uh, so it's nice to have the people upstairs, but also have your own space. So I don't really talk to them much. I mean, sometimes we talk, but, you know, they're not like taking me to the grocery store every week or, every week or anything. I have some really nice friends who live like five minutes away and I do my grocery shopping like every other week or sometimes sometimes if I'm out for something, I just um, stop at the store because we have stores basically everywhere here. I mean, anywhere I go, I'll pass a grocery store. And so people will be like, do you need to stop at the store? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you're offering, sure. So it's nice to go with the same people. I mean, I don't care how you do stuff. I don't care if you have a family member that takes you shopping. Like, I know some people are like, oh, you need to, you know, go to a person, like a shop and assist person, like at customer service, get one of those people working at the grocery store. And if that's how you do it, great. I've done that before. But uh, I also don't mind going with friends. I mean, because a lot of times, like they pick up their stuff too. They're like, you know what? While we're here, I'm going to look at this and see if this is on sale. Uh, so they get a few things too. And they also learn your shopping routine. You know, you don't have to go through every like brand or anything. They're like, oh, you know, this brand of apples you like is on sale today or they don't have this brand. So that's been cool to kind of like, um, you know, be like, oh, you remember. Nice. So, yeah. And then things like going to doctor's appointments. Um, actually, I've taken Uber before here too, but I mean, it depends on where you're going. And I think this is anywhere, like, because you can go an hour away and sometimes you won't get an Uber. But so like the last time I took an Uber was a, to a place about an hour away from me. And I took it like this. So this driver, I had her a few months ago. Well, this was my first time taking Uber uh, here because I was going to a place and I didn't have a friend who can take me also. And also it was like, I don't want to ask someone to drive me an hour away. So this Uber driver, she, um, she picked up my ride and she's like, yeah, okay. Like this is where we're going. She actually gave me her personal number 
and said, you know, if you ever need a ride, just text me. And if I'm free, I'm more than happy to take you. And so I have, I've texted her a few times and I was like, Hey, I need to go to this place. Are you okay with going like an hour, an hour and a half away? And she said, yeah. And so it's nice because I can pay her directly. So um, she gets all the money too. I mean, I, I don't know how much Uber takes, but I know I've heard it's like, it's a pretty big chunk of money that they take. That's been cool to have her as a driver and also be independent that way, not to have to rely on friends for that, but at the same time, like get to a place and with somebody that you know and trust. And that's why I also think safety is important when you take an Uber. And if you feel comfortable um, having a friend on the phone while you are in a car and tell them like what kind of car you're in and stuff, do that. Like you can even have them like through your headphones and the driver will probably think you're just listening to music or something, but uh, I feel like you can never be too safe and whatever makes you feel comfortable, do it. Awesome. Thanks, Vika. So we have a little bit of extra time before our Q&A time. So I'm going to ask a couple extra questions uh, to both Greg and Vika. So Greg, um, I know you went to school and you did college and all of that. So can you tell us a little bit about your advocacy journey while in college? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as a lot of you probably know, you know, in K through 12 schools um, these days, you know, you might have an IEP or you have a vision teacher or whatnot, someone who's kind of assigned to your case, your situation and manages whatever kind of accommodations, technology, et cetera, that you might need. Uh, but when you get to college, it's on you to advocate for yourself and kind of what you need to be successful in school. And uh, so for me, um, so obviously I went to the accessibility office at, uh, I started out at a college initially, I got my AA there and then transferred to a university. And uh, so at both places, you know, I got to know the accessibility folks pretty well and uh, just explain my situation, you know, what I needed in terms of my visual impairment. And uh, so back then I was able to read more, you know, large print, whatnot. Um, so getting, you know, large print copies of assignments, of exams, um, extra time, you know, for certain exams and certain situations, uh, having someone show me around campus, you know, if I needed a guide, whether it, you know, was initially or if, you know, there was a place I was going that I wasn't familiar with on campus, you know, during my tenure there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely incumbent on you as a student, as a college student to advocate for yourself. And I will say, you know, overall, I had a very positive experience, uh, very accommodating, you know, once again, I think if you're a reasonable person, you explain things clearly enough as far as what you really do need. Those that are providing those services, they will be receptive to you and will understand and will, you know, be willing to work with you. Awesome. And then one more question for you, Greg. Um, It seems like you're really great at the advocacy thing. So can you talk a little bit, maybe how you've made it a part of your life from teenage, young adult to now? Um, What are some of those steps maybe you've seen that you've grown to be able to speak up for your own? Because a lot of times I think we, we have other people who speak for us and that's awesome. And we love that we have that support, but just as an individual, how you've grown to um, be the advocate that you are. So I will say, you know, younger in my younger years and being a child, um, there were definitely times my parents would talk for me and say things that I absolutely could have, you know, said and advocated for myself on my own. And, uh, you know, just kind of being shy and, and reserved and whatnot, you know, 
definitely didn't help at the time either. Um, but I, I definitely learned just kind of through life experiences and, you know, being more independent, doing more things by myself, that it is imperative to advocate. And I will say for a long time, I never really considered myself, you know, an advocate. Um, I, I did go on Capitol Hill a few years ago to the DC Leadership Conference, which was absolutely amazing. Um, but that was really the first time I had, you know, actually advocated say for laws, for legislation, for, for that, that area, uh, which I'd never really had much experience with, but I will say that experience helped me grow into becoming, you know, just a better self-advocate in general, uh, for my, you know, personal needs, just anything that I'm involved in and any kind of assistance or accommodations I might need. Um, so I've absolutely grown, you know, I feel like by leaps and bounds when it comes to speaking up for myself advocating, um, you know, for a while I was kind of afraid to maybe say something. How's the person going to respond? You know, is it going to be awkward, whatnot? But I, I've learned that in general, you know, again, if you're respectful and ask in a, a decent way for any kind of assistance or accommodations, you know, most human beings are decent people. Yeah, there are a lot of bad apples out there, but in general, you know, if, if you ask in the right way, um, you, you will get the assistance you, you, you know, you need. And, uh, it's just, you know, sometimes there's that barrier kind of overcoming that barrier to get to that point. But once you do, and the more often, the more frequent that you do ask for that help and advocate, um, it becomes a lot easier. Awesome. Um, Vika, back to you. What is something, you know, you talked a little bit about your everyday life and how you get groceries and things, but what is, um, what's an area that you feel like you advocate for yourself pretty regularly that has really helped you gain that strength and that ability to speak up? Um, I know we talked about this. I don't know how many people were um, actually from this room. We're on our first part of what is advocacy back in June. Uh, wh what are some things that you think have just helped you grow so you can become that better advocate and reach out, um, you know, in, in the different capacities? Well, like me, I feel like um, I've definitely had to advocate a lot with my um, like a voc rehab counselor and like um, telling them what kind of stuff I need for um, the training that I want, like the field I want to go into customer service stuff. And so it took a while, but I got like the technology, like the computer and stuff. Things, you know, they sometimes take time, but if you keep asking for them, you know, I feel like, like, because I kept you know, messaging my counselor, like, every week, be like, hey, you know, um, like, what's going on with the paperwork, like, she, she was really nice about it, but she also has, like, a lot of other people to help, so she can't always remember everything, and so, you know, I can just be like, hey, you know, have, hope you're having a good day, I'm just, you know, texting to see what's going on, like, um, with the, you know, like, when am I going to get the laptop? Like, when am I going to get the approval to do this training? That kind of thing. So I feel like advocating for myself with my counselor, like, and, you know, not being annoying, not texting like every day, but at the same time, like following up, um, because otherwise I've, I've seen and I've heard like things just don't get done unless you speak up, especially in that area. Like, cause like, honestly, they might even forget about you. I mean, like it's just the honest truth like if you don't keep asking them and like reminding them and of course you don't have to be rude about it but you can be like hey you know 
just wondering like what's the status update on this or that like and then be like oh yeah so sorry like this is what's happening this time and like you're training at this time and yeah I've definitely learned to speak up with advocating for myself with my counselor awesome so we have some time here um, thank you both Greg and Vika for just sharing your experiences and maybe that can give some people your perspective on how they're doing this but we do have some time allotted for questions and answers. So if anyone in the room has a question, we can pass the mic around. So if you um, are on Zoom and you want to raise your hand, we can acknowledge you and get you to unmute as well. So my question is for both of you. Um, When you go to try to advocate for yourself, do you do planning ahead of time? And if you do planning, where do you go to find the rules that are going to help you advocate for yourself? So like, for example... Um, when Drew travels on the airplane um, and we go through the scanner, um, they always take his cane away from him. And we always say, well, are you going to take this person out of their wheelchair and make them slither through the scanner? Because you're taking this person's eyes away from them. And they're like, well, we just have to see if there's any cocaine or drugs or whatever in the cane. And so I'm like, do you go somewhere to find the rules? Do you just know the rules? Have you got a list of that kind of stuff? Um, another example, we had a, a friend that was traveling down to Dallas when we were going down to the NFB convention, and he had a straight cane, and he was in the aisle because he was a very, very tall young man. And the uh, stewardess or flight attendant came and said, we have to take your cane away from you. And he said, no, you can't take my cane away from me. It's my eyes. If the plane goes down, I've got to be able to get out this exit and, you know, get out the airplane. And so they were very nice. And she said, well, we have to take your cane away. And so the stewardess left and then she brought back the pilot and the pilot said, excuse me, but we have to take your cane away. So after about a 15, 20 minute um, altercation, whatever, they decided that they would take his cane because it was an NFB non-folding cane and they would put it on the side by the window. And if there was an emergency, they would hand the cane to this young man and he would be able to get out of the plane on his own. So if you could address that for me, I think that would be awesome. Greg, you want to hit that first and we'll let Vika with any experience she has. And I may have some answers for you as well. Yeah, I appreciate that that question and definitely feel your pain. Um, thankfully, I haven't really been in a situation where it's that, you know, they're just that tough to deal with. But I know it absolutely happens to a lot of us. And, uh, you know, as far as airports go, I mean, it's I've had different experiences at different airports. And it seems like even like TSA, you know, it's a federal agency, but there's really no standard training, you know, so it seems as far as the agents go when it comes to, you know, say guide dogs or really anyone with a disability. Um, I've had some agents, they want to take Goldie's harness uh, and leash off. And, you know, it's just even when I use a cane or, you know, before I had a dog, like, like you were saying, wanting to take the cane and test that and who knows how long they're going to have that. When am I going to get that back? What do they do into the cane? Is it safe? Um, it's, it's definitely tough. And I mean, I I guess, you know, you were saying about like, do we have a list of 
kind of like a to-do list or a list of ideas, or unfortunately there's not, you know, every situation is different. I wish there was kind of a, a standard solution or process to every case or every situation. Um, but, you know, obviously you kind of have to just roll with the punches and, you know, you guys did the right thing trying to to advocate and, and say that, you know, he needs his cane and what's going on here. And to have that many different people involved is obviously just totally ridiculous. I guess I wish I had a better answer, but I think, you know, just just being persistent and, and trying to get the point across when it comes to advocating, you know, at times we get a little emotional, especially when something goes on much longer than it should. So keeping your cool can be tough, you know, try as hard as you can, but I, I certainly understand if it's just that many people involved and that much discussion about something that does, does not require that at all or shouldn't, you know, it's tough, but you just got to keep fighting the good fight. Vika, anything to add to that? I was just going to say that um, for me, like, I remember one time they had me um, sit in a chair and, like, they, instead of, like, I think me having to go through the scanner, they, like, swabbed my hands with this thing. And that, uh, I was kind of confused because I think they took my cane. I, I was kind of confused, like, what are they doing? But um, they, I think, like, both times that I've flown, they've, uh, well, I don't remember the other times, like, cause I, I mean, I've flown before, but like not by myself and also it's been a long time, but the most recent two times, I think they did make me like give my cane to them and it's a folding cane. So I don't remember if I put it in the basket, but I don't think I did. I think what happened was when I was walking through the scanner, they just took my cane and like, I mean, they didn't have it for very long and the person in front of me, the, um, security person guided me by my hand like they had gloves on and they guided me by my hand like through the thing because I guess the thing would set off like the metal detector or whatever and so I just wasn't sure like you know I didn't want to argue with them I I just gave him my cane I maybe I should have like been more assertive and be like no you know I need this but uh, they just told me to walk straight for a little bit and so that's what I ended up doing and somebody met me on the other side of the metal detector but then like I said one one time they did put a chair down like I sat in it and they told me to no actually you know I think okay I remember this now sorry um I think they put a chair for me to help me like um well they did swab my hands and I don't know why maybe it's like maybe that time I didn't go through the scanner but I know they put a chair down for me so I can put on my shoes but nobody told me what was happening so I just like got sat like to like to the side I was like am I in trouble like what did I do and then this person came over and like brought me my shoes. I'm like, oh, okay, I am okay. But um, I feel like the more you go through experiences, the more you hear people talk about different things, like, and the more I go, like, for me, like, maybe next time I'll be like, you know what, can I please use this cane? And maybe some people would have said that. But like I said, at the time, I just wanted to get through it and get to my gate and wait for my flight. But the more you go through experiences, the more you hear people talk about their experiences, you um, 
you'll just have to kind of, you know, decide for yourself what you want to do in that situation. Thank you, both of you. Um, So this is DJ again, and I actually work with the Atlanta airport. We're on the ADA committee. Don't ask how we got there, but um, (laughs) our family is part of that committee. And then Atlanta, Hartsville, Jackson, Atlanta actually shares with the rest of the country um, from TSA to (laughs) the the guys at FAA, what we're wanting and all of that. So um, I was just looking actually at the TSA website on, you know, disabilities, what what their regulations are in it. It does either state that the device either has to go through the x-ray screening or if you take it through, they do have to do what they do. They do a swab test usually on your hand and then also on the item. They do it on the guide dogs too. They'll swab their um, harnesses just to make sure there's no drugs. It sounds absolutely ridiculous to me, but I've talked to so many TSA agents that said, you will not believe the amount of people who put a service vest on their dog, take it through security and actually test positive for drugs because the dog is carrying it somewhere in its fur or some something like that. Doesn't make sense to me, but considering that's the busiest airport in the world, I'm more prone to believe some of the stories that come back um, to us in some of those meetings. And a lot of it is really, you know, advocating for yourself, sometimes even saying, you know, they don't want the cane to be with the person, well, is there a place I can put this? Can I hold it between my legs? Maybe finding some options as well that you can kind of mediate and in between. But then sometimes it's also a case by case thing based on, you know, that pilot, that airplane size, whether or not there's a lot of people there, um, that there's a lot of variables that happen as well. I will share for anyone who does travel a lot. um, Most of the airports now actually have an ADA um, line. They have a complaint line inside of their um, customer service that is designated to people with disabilities. So if you have a problem in an airport, whether it's checking in at TSA, at your gate, anything like that, you can call that number and they can usually work on solving some of those problems. And they they get together. I didn't realize they have annual meetings. They do conventions like this and they talk through a lot of those problems and how do we solve this? How do we make TSA uniform for every single person who walks in with a disability. It's still not perfect, but um, I think we are slowly working towards that end. I have a I have a couple of comments. My name is Vicki Kennedy. I'm from Honolulu, Oahu, and uh, I've traveled extensively over the 23 years with my three guide dogs for guide dogs for the blind. And just a little comment about the security checkpoint. It seems like every TSA that you go through, everybody has a different thing to do. Okay, so one uh, one TSA I go through at the Honolulu International Airport or San Francisco or Oakland, they say you have to take all the harness off. We are not allowed to take the harness off that is our guide dog's uniform and you and you have to just be cool about it nice about it but firm and um, you just tell them excuse me no this harness does not come off the leash does not come off this is a guide dog and if that comes off they are just a regular dog but the uniform that they wear, the harness and the leash, is there for them. They know what that is. All I have to do mm. is I will sit my dog, and you help me through the the um, 
what do you call that scanner? And then right at right after you go through that, then you say heal. Then the dog will come right to you and they say, well, uh, c- can we pat your dog down? I said, absolutely. She or he, my first two were girls. Now I have a boy. I said, they all love massages. Go for it. Okay. And then I have the poopy bag up there. Oh, is that a cell phone? I said, no, don't, my dog doesn't use a cell okay. phone. But that's, that's the Go thing for the, the poopy bags. Okay. Th- this is kind of funny, but kind of sad at the same time. They'll say, oh, is, is your dog a girl or a boy? And I'm thinking, what difference does that make, right? And then, and then I said, I said, well, they were the two girls. They haven't asked for buddies ID yet. But I said, no, they're they're girls. Okay, we have to get a female assist here. <laughs> and I said, it's okay, sir. You can do it. Oh no, no, no! It's a girl. We have to get a female assist. Okay, so it it depends, but if you be nice but firm about it you can do it but that harness never never comes off and and the other uh, young lady um is it vivian on the phone in zoom uh you know my husband always takes me to the um the gate and what you can do is because we know what to do with our dogs uh in honolulu fortunately we have Two big, huge grass relieving areas inside security. So you don't have to go outside again. But when you go through there, we always time it. And one hour before boarding, we go out, we relieve the dog, depending on which area, which terminal you're going to depart from. And um, uh, we will go down there and you can just tell them that so-and-so is going to be coming with me. And um, it's to relieve the airport of your own meet and assist person. So, uh, you know, your partner, your mother, your family member or dear friend knows what to do with your guide dog and help you. So we, we always do that. And then when we come to the mainland, it's just my guide dog and myself. Um, you know, I've had at the Oakland airport, two, three different people who always see me there. And I ask for them for the meet and assist and they will come to you. So just, just my comments. Thank you. Um, Margie, go ahead. I want to make a comment about travel and then uh, uh, briefly another comment. I'm really happy that they actually take our canes and run them through. Uh, years ago, when I lived near San Francisco airport, I would call and file a complaint every time I went through and they did not check my dog's harness. You know, canes are easy to buy, harnesses are easy to buy. And I I just need to say this, remember the first orchestrator of the bombing of the World Trade Center was a blind person. Don't forget that there are people with ill intent that might grab a cane. However, you do have the legal right to walk through security. And if you have a metal cane, it's going to alarm anyway. Uh, but at some point before you leave security, they have every legal right to check your cane. And we have to keep in mind safety for us and safety for other passengers. Now I'm off of my soapbox. I'm a very good advocate. I'm a very strong advocate, but I just had an experience today. Um, had to go get a CAT scan. I recently had a head injury and they wouldn't let me take my dog in the room due to the radiation exposure. You know, 
I don't have the fight in me right now. So I allowed them to rule. It should have been my choice. It should always be my choice if I want my dog exposed to radiation or not. They didn't put any cover over me to protect me. And my point here is, if you don't have it in you to fight at the moment, or you can't win your battle at the moment, always follow up with a letter. You bet your bottom, I am writing to Mercy Imaging about this situation. I did not have a choice. I don't have the fight in me. And I just did what I had to do to get the CAT scan and out of there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Margie. Hi, hello. My name's Elizabeth. I'm from New York. And um, as per guide dogs, um, first off, that's safety for the guide dog in order to not go into an x-ray, a CAT scan, uh, an MRI. I mean, I was always taught. I've had five guide dogs in my entire life. I've been using a guide dog since 2004. And you do not, I mean, guide dogs, yes, they are allowed everywhere where the public is allowed. However, there are some restrictions when it comes down to it. Yes, you can advocate for yourself. Yes, I understand that. You, your dog is a medical tool. They do guide you. However, it is a safety issue when it comes down for the dog, when it comes down to an x-ray or an MRI. And a dog is also not allowed in an ICU because that is very, very intensive care. And you can't do that. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Rachel from Massachusetts um, uh, about the cane issue. I was 16 years old at, at the time singing in the chorus, and I flew from Logan Airport to North Carolina to sing. Now, I agree with everybody else. Uh, my cane was grabbed. No warning, nothing, just grabbed. And I got scared, and I said, my cane, my cane, my cane, I need my cane. And the woman that had it, she was a worker there, and she said nastily to me, I have your cane. I don't know how I would handle it. I'd probably better this time. And my next question is, I've never had legal trouble with my guide dog. I have an eight-year-old black Labrador named Shadow. She is from Freedom Dogs. So yay for you, Greg. You have a Freedom Dog. Woohoo! We can right. be twins. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So if it comes to the point where if something ha happens and I have really bad legal trouble, you show the little card that looks like the driver's license and they still give you legal trouble. Do you have to go to court or anything like that to prove to the people that this is a guide dog or would you have to call attorney? The, no, the that's against attorney? the ADA. Yeah, right. per ADA guidelines, you do not have to. You don't even have to bring proof. Um, any sort of provide any sort of um, legal, you know, proof that it is a guide dog. There's two questions they can ask. I'm going to let Greg pick up on this. Um, but yeah, there's no, nothing like that should ever be allowed. And if it is, you need to reach out to your local state ADA department. Greg? Yeah, I was just going to say the harness designates, you know, the fact that it is a guide dog. So that should be enough to to prove, to kind of answer their question. When I was coming up um they didn't have as much advocacy awareness as they do now but i had a very forward-thinking tvi and by the time i hit my junior year in high school she started saying okay 
these are the classes you're taking. Now you go talk to the teachers and find out what books they're using. And here's the phone number for RFB&D. And uh, she started teaching me to advocate for myself because she said, I'm not going to college with you. I'm retiring. And I'm just wondering if you all had anyone or anything that taught you or helped prepare you to become better um, advocates for yourselves as you moved into adulthood? Um, well, my mom, she advocated for me a lot. And like, after seeing like, you know, how much work she put in and like how things got done, I was like, you know, like, yes, it's a lot of um, asking around and like, but for example, like for me to go to a training center after high school, like it took a lot of, um, my mom was talking to my uh, voc rehab counselor uh, like probably every week, like, okay, like, um, are, is she gonna go? Like, are you guys paying? Like, where is she going? Like, Colorado, Louisiana, like where? And so, um, I've definitely learned from her and, um, she taught me, you know, how to advocate for myself, even things like making doctor's appointments and like making those phone calls. Cause I mean, she's not gonna like, I mean, she doesn't even live the, like live in this country right now. Like she's a missionary in a different country. So she's definitely not going to be around to help me do all this. So I just learned to, like, if I want things done, I'm going to have to speak up and ask for what I need. Greg? Yeah, for me. So I know I mentioned my parents, you know, when I was younger would talk for me or whatnot in some cases, but at the same time, they definitely pushed me to, you know, advocate for myself as time went on and kind of like Vika, I observed them and just saw, you know, the processes in most cases are doable and it's, you know, you can't be afraid to, to speak up. And I'll also say just being involved in ACB, being around other blind and visually impaired people and, and those connections. Um, so I really didn't get involved in ACB till my late 20s and really did not have many other blind or visually impaired connections in my life. So once I got into this, you know, community, quote unquote, I've, I've learned so much just literally being around others, observing, listening, having those conversations. Um, it's just, you know, one of the many Huge benefits, I think, of an organization like ACB and being involved. Uh, yes, uh, two things. Um, if and you're at the airport and having difficulties, ask for the crow. That's the complaint resolution officer. That can be a help to you at some times. Secondly, the airport is getting more difficult because of the forms required when we fly now in the last three years due to COVID and other things. Very nice. Okay. So we're going to do, um, thank you guys, everyone who's participating in the Q&A. It's always great to hear other people's experiences as we've talked about it as the younger people in the room <laughs> doing some of the talking, but um, we can all learn from each other for sure. So I'm going to let our panelists give um, final tip or tips each. Um, start with Greg on what um, his tips are, and then we'll let Vika go. We do have um, some door prizes, door prizes to announce, and then also some information about our last part in this advocacy series. So, yeah, I would say my final tip is communication is key. Um, not only just speaking up, but like we've already talked about, being respectful, but yet being firm, trying to get your message across, making sure that your needs and rights, you know, as someone who's blind or visually impaired are fully understood. And no matter the situation, you know, again, speak up, be firm, but yet be respectful to the other individual as much as you can. Um, my final tip would be, um, 
you know, don't think you're not doing enough. Like, I mean, advocating like for yourself in any way is good. Like, don't think, oh, you know, this person's doing more. Like, if you want to do more, like go into the legislative stuff or whatever, that's great. But if you're just, you know, advocating for yourself, like at the grocery store, even like getting an Uber and traveling independently, like that's, that's great. Like, so don't ever feel like you're, you know, like, oh, this person's like better than me because they're doing this. And I'm not just be proud of what you are doing and like how you are living independently and um, advocating for yourself. Thank you guys. I enjoyed this. I learned, learned a lot myself for our door prizes. The first one is Blind Girl Designs, a t-shirt donated by Trisha Waiter with Blind Girl Designs. And our winner for that is Carrie Regan. Um, and then the second one is a color-changing tumbler with a $10 Dunkin' Donuts gift card donated by myself. And our winner for that is Maria Christic. I know she's here, as in in the convention center. She's not in the room. So a couple things. Our final session, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning is going to be on taking the next steps. What's, how do you get involved in um, the other side of advocacy outside of independently? So we have um, two great speakers. One is James Edwards out of Oregon. James is going to be speaking about local and state legislation. He's actually been the mayor of his city before as someone who is blind and how do you get involved at a local level? How do you get involved at a state level? How are, how are bills passed? How, are, how do things change, you know, and how do you be part of that process? And then ACB's very own Swatha is also going to be a panelist for that program. She's going to be talking about all of the national legislation. How does that get passed? Similar to state, but it's different as well. Um, what do you do when you get an email from ACB Advocacy saying, hey, we have this bill that we're working on. Here's what we need you to do. And you sit there going, I don't understand what that means. Um, so she's going to be sharing with us a little bit more on how that works, what um, you can do, how you can find your legislatures. How do you start even now making those inroads and just saying, hey, I'm in your state. I voted you know, voted for you, or even if you, you know, you're like, it's not the person I voted for, but I'm in, I'm a constituent. Here's what I want. Here's what I want to see. And just starting those relationships and building that rapport with those people. So it's going to be a really great session. It's going to not be during convention. It's actually a next gen program in July. It's going to be July the 18th. It's the third Tuesday. It's um, a slot we use for education as a group, but we're opening it up to anybody who wants to join. And um, it is via Zoom. It's at eight o'clock Eastern, usually about nine to 9.30. We'll see. We're going to have Q&A available as well for anyone who wants to take that next step. You know, you say today, I really learned a lot, but I kind of want to go a little more. I'm, I'm feeling comfortable. So it's July 18th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you are not an Action member or not following us, we will have information on our website, which is acbnextgeneration.org. Greg will correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. <laughs> and um, you can sign up for an email list there, which we will send out the link through that email list. You can also get on our um, Facebook page, ACB Next Generation, or our group, ACB Next Generation um, Neighborhood. And the link will be sent out in various places for that. So we really want to encourage people not, it's not just for the next geners, um, you know, it's not just for us, but for anybody who wants to look into taking those next steps, doing the big thing, changing the world, as I like to call it, one 
one person at a time. And that's how we, we make that change is us as individuals, but then as a collective, we can get together at convention and say, Hey, I did this in my state. And then this person did that in their state. And, you know, you see a ripple effect and that's what we're here to do. So thank you again to our panelists. Thank you for our zoom room. Wonderful people making sure that Zoom was able to hear and that Zoom is running and functioning. Thank you, everyone in the room, for coming and attending. And I am going to give you back about 12, 13 minutes of your Monday afternoon. Thank you so much.